Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Hey, welcome to Light Church. Welcome to our virtual gathering. If you're tuning in for the first time, I want you to know that you are welcome and that you are amongst family. We're so honoured and excited that you would choose to spend these few moments together with us. Over the past few weeks, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and we're going to be continuing today. So if you have a Bible, if you return to Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to be reading from verse 11 through to verse 20. My heart today is that this message would leave you encouraged and inspired to step into the future that God has for you. So let's do it from verse 11 through to 20, chapter 2. It says, I went to Jerusalem. After staying there for three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and his gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, The God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. I want to preach a message entitled, It's Out of My Hands. It's out of my hands. We're going to jump into this. I think we've got a lot to learn from this passage. Uh, and I'm excited to unpack this a little bit for us this morning. But let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you that your presence uh, just fills every single room. That as we meet together, even be it virtually like this, that you are so present in every single house. God, I pray this morning that we just wouldn't um, only learn how to live better. Uh, but we would be transformed. God, you are the only thing or the only person that can transform us from the, from the inside out. So God, I pray that we will leave different than we came in. In your name we pray. Amen. So we've been looking a little bit at Nehemiah and his uh, heart to see the, the walls and the gates of Jerusalem rebuilt. And it got me thinking, I wonder in your life, have you ever had to build anything? Have you ever been involved in building something? I know in my life, I've had a little bit, uh, a couple run-ins with the uh, Swedish home argument generator, uh, also known as Ikea. Uh, when you go to Ikea and you traipse around for, you know, however long it is that you can handle being there, and uh, you see all these things and you, you see the cabinet or the drawers or, or the wardrobe or whatever it is that you want to buy and you see it all set up and then when you purchase it, it obviously comes in, in flat pack. 
And it always intrigues me with stuff like, especially Ikea, because there's a couple of things that you need in order to build Ikea furniture. I guess the first thing is you gotta have an expectation, you gotta have an understanding of what it is you're trying to build. Now, the instructions, as far as flat packing go, they're probably the simplest instructions. I didn't say they were easy, but they're probably the simplest ones to follow. And uh, so you kind of know what you're building. You definitely need some patience. I can assure you, you will need patience. And then you will need some determination. I mean, it's funny with Ikea, you see how different people approach setting up Ikea furniture. I mean, I'm quite a, um, like ordered and strategic when I go about it. So I'm the, the type of person who will, will lay everything out. Like I'll chuck the box before I've even started. So everything's laid out. I mean, when you read the, the stupid instructions and it says like, grab the screw MSC11777B or something. And I have no idea what that means. Like I lay out all the screws so I know exactly what's going on. Whereas Holly, Holly has a very different approach to Ikea furniture. Uh, Ikea furniture is like, to Holly is like playing jazz. She just has little bits of stuff everywhere. And when she needs to find something, she'll go and she'll root through it. And it's, it's just not a stressful experience. Whereas for me, it is a horrible experience. I mean, there's been many times actually recently, I was putting together a bed and you know, step one of 27, you're going through it all. And I remember getting towards the end and it was kind of like the moment you'd, you'd done all the little separate bits and it was like the moment it all comes together and starts to resemble a bed. And uh, I go to start putting everything together. I think it was like 25 of 27 uh, steps. And I, I realized that as I was putting the headboard on, I'd put something on backwards, which means like the little holes that the, the thing had to go in was sticking out the back. And I had to, it was one of those moments where I could have easily just been like, who needs a bed? Let's just sleep on the floor. It was just a moment I did not want to carry on. Like I'm telling you, I think job interviews should actually, we should sack off the interview part of it. You should just leave people in a room with flat pack furniture and you will see people's true characters come out. You will see how people, whether they have patience, you will see if people are determined to make it to the end and actually build the thing or not. Because it definitely sometimes brings what is inside of us out. And it just got me thinking, this is exactly the, the picture of Nehemiah right now. What happens is, a little bit of context here, and if you've only been joining us from this week on, uh, a little bit of a, a backstory here is, Nehemiah is this guy who lived in Jerusalem, and he was exiled from Jerusalem, so everyone was kind of scattered, spread, the city was kind of in ruins, it was a bit of a disgrace that if you were from Jerusalem and your city was lay in ruins, just wasn't a good situation. So we find Nehemiah, beginning of chapter one, he is the cupbearer to the king of Persia. Now, king of Persia, terrifying guy, and uh, the, the cupbearer, as we know, would taste the wine and would often prepare food and be around the king. And uh, it was, you know, quite an intimate uh, role, still a servant to the king, but it's quite an intimate role. And uh, we find that Nehemiah feels this call of God, uh, from God to rebuild Jerusalem. He spends four months praying. And uh, there's this moment in chapter two where, that we looked at last week where the king of Persia says to Nehemiah, now what is it you want to do? Because he notices he was looking a little bit sad. Like, what is it you want to do? What is it you want? So Nehemiah says, well, king, I, I really want to rebuild the city of my ancestors. So the king graciously gives him, you know, some time off. You can go and rebuild. And Nehemiah, a little bit cheeky, just says, well, would you be able to write a letter so I could get safe passage? Because you would have had to cross borders to be able to get there. So the king, king of Persia, terrifying guy, writes this letter to allow uh, Nehemiah to get back to Jerusalem. And then Nehemiah thinks, well, 
Well, while we're at it, King, can I also have a letter that would allow me to, you know, take timber from the royal forests? And he's granted that also. So he has safe passage. He has the provision he needs to rebuild. And then the king also, like a little bit of good measure here, it just shows the favor of God on Nehemiah's life. The king sends a little unit of his army, a little cavalry with him to protect him. So he had passage, he had provision, and he had protection. So then we kind of pick up here in verse 11. So Nehemiah rides into Jerusalem. So obviously he's got this little army unit with him, the cavalry. He's got all the supplies he might need and he's riding in to Jerusalem. So we kind of pick it up here. So this is now where we find Nehemiah kind of assessing how he's going to rebuild, kind of assessing what is the plan? Like, how are we going to go about doing this? Now it says in this passage that he hasn't told anyone exactly what was on his heart. So the people that were living there at the time would have seen this kind of commotion. Nehemiah is, is riding in. He's got the supplies, he's got the stuff, but no one knows what's going on. You know, like when we, you open the, the flat pack box at Ikea, you kind of like assess, now what is it that's first? What is it I need to do? I think we can learn so much from this, uh, some characteristics that come out of Nehemiah. So as we find ourselves, maybe you're sat here this morning just thinking, you know what? The coronavirus has, has really crippled some stuff in my life. It might be a business that you own or a, a job that you work at. It might be your family. It, it might be some stuff in your life that have maybe just felt like under a little bit of pressure. Or maybe you find yourself this morning just looking out across your life and you just feel like Jerusalem. You just feel a little bit in ruins. And this morning is kind of an attempt. I want to know about this God. I want to know what, what this stuff means because I really just want to rebuild. I really want to just move forward. Well, see, Nehemiah, he has these characteristics. that I think if we could get into our hands, if we could learn a little bit off this as we move forward, I think we can be more effective. And the Bible can teach us so much about rebuilding and moving forward. So let's look at this. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing that sort of came out of Nehemiah or the first thing that he did was he faced reality. He faced reality. So in uh, verse 13 to 15, we see Nehemiah, he says he gets on a, uh, his mount, uh, so his horse or his camel or whatever, and he goes to assess the damage. So he rides into Jerusalem and uh, he goes and begins to look at all the, the places that had been burnt, the gates that had been scorched by enemy fire, the, the, the walls that had been knocked down, the rubble uh, of houses and, and the rubble of places and just the mess. Some scholars believe this would have been an emotional, like a, a time of turmoil for Nehemiah to see the place that he would have remembered of his childhood, the place where his ancestors, like the history of his family, he sees just rubble and mess and brokenness. And someone has said this would have been a moving moment for Nehemiah. So he, he gets up close and personal. He's tactile with it. He faces the reality of the situation. I think this is interesting. And I think there's a lesson to be learned in this. And that's this. Underestimating your challenges does not make them smaller. It just makes you unprepared. Underestimating your challenges does not make them smaller. It just makes you unprepared. Now, we do this for so many reasons, don't we? Like, whether you're facing something in your life right now, it might be an addiction. 
It might be an illness. It might be a bad relationship or it might be a problem at work or a problem in your family or something that you are facing. I wonder if I ask you the question, do you ever like reduce or minimize things that you face? Because I know in my life I've done it, you know, when, when things have gone wrong or, or when I'm facing something, I say, oh, it's not that bad, is it? It's not, it's not so bad. See, I think there's sometimes in our life where we find ourselves saying this phrase, it's, oh, it's just out of my hands. You know, this phrase kind of, it means it's like it's beyond my control. There's not a whole lot I can do about this. But you see, when we minimize the things that we face, when we minimize reality, we, it's because we want to like reduce it so it can be in our hands. Oh, it's not such a big problem. I, I can sort that. Oh, it's not that big a deal. You know, so even as a church, when we're looking at the, the vision that we've got and what we feel God is calling us into, we have to realize that we cannot do this on our own. You in your life, the things God has called you to, you will only be able to do them in relationship with him. But so often we reduce it, we minimize it. But the problem is it doesn't make the problem smaller. When Nehemiah was walking around, he wasn't just trying to uh, tell himself, oh, this will be easy. It's only, you know, it's not so bad. Hey guys, this is fine. Don't worry about it. It's only like a few gates. It's only a few bits of the wall. Don't worry, we're fine. We got this. No, he went around and he, he soaked it in. He understood. Now, what is the problem here? What is, what is actually going on? What does, what does it actually look like? He faced up to reality. Why? Because he needed to know what is it I'm up against. You know, I think this about uh, the, the, the passage of Jesus in Matthew, especially where uh, the, him and the disciples, the, you know, they're teaching on the hillside and it begins, it begins to get dark and the disciples say to Jesus, Jesus, there is a crowd of people. This passage is often known as the feeding of the 5,000 and, and uh, the 5,000 men and then women and children, they, they assume there would be about 10 to 13,000 people. And the disciples say to Jesus, look, there is a crowd of people. Jesus didn't turn around and go, oh, it's not so bad. Like, we'll sort it. It's not so bad, though. Don't, you know, don't worry. Instead, he just says, okay, well, let's feed them. Because the thing is, the bigger the challenge that we face, the more need there is for God to come through in a way that only he can come through in. But so often we like to put it into our own hands. We like to reduce it. Why? So we think we can control it. I want to maybe challenge you this morning. What realities do you need to face? Are there some things in your life that you need to say, you know what? I just need to put my hands up and say, you know, what? I am really suffering with this. You know, my marriage is not what I thought it was. My marriage is not where I'm telling people it is. My health is not where I'm telling people it is. You know, my relationship with my parents just, I need to be real. They're not where they were. What realities do you need to face this morning? Because until we face them, until we acknowledge what is going on, we will never be able to do anything about it. You cannot change what you do not acknowledge. You know what? And God wants to work in our lives. God wants to do something incredible. But he can't do something incredible in our issues if we pretend like we do not have any. You know, what realities do you need to face this morning? Nehemiah faced reality. The second thing Nehemiah did is he built in community. He built in community. I love this. So in verse 17 to 18, he'd gone around, he'd, he'd looked at all the walls, he'd seen the pain, he'd seen all the stuff that was happening. 
and then he pulls people together. And he doesn't lie. He doesn't try and minimize. He doesn't change it. Listen to this, what he says. He turns to them and he says, you see the trouble that we are in. In other words, guys, let's be real. We're not in a good place. Things are just not okay. Can we agree on this? We are in a bad state. Now, I think it is good leadership to be honest about where you stand. You know, often we just want to hide it. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. This would have been such a shameful thing for him to say. He's saying this in front of people that are essentially responsible too. They all would have been like, we know, we know, I know, it's horrible. He says, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. But then he says, come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then Nehemiah goes on to tell them about the hand of God on his life. I think this is amazing. See, Nehemiah rallied people together. So, I mean, it could have been so easy for him. He's got the letter from the king of Persia. He's got the supplies from the king of Persia. He could have rolled in there with this kind of like big attitude, this like authoritative figure coming in and being like, I am the hero that you guys all need. It is time to rebuild. What we're going to do is you do this and you do this. And hey, he didn't. He just pulled people together and he says, look where we are. Look what is going on. He united people together. Nehemiah understood that this would, be, this would be something they had to conquer with unity, together, as one. Maybe in your life right now, you might be facing some things. You might be looking around and thinking, actually, I don't want to tell people because it's shameful. Now, Nehemiah would have been in that place too. You know, like, ah, this is, this is a disgrace. He even says, if we rebuild, we won't be disgraced anymore, implying they are disgraced. Jerusalem lies in ruins. The, the gates have been burned. It's exposed to enemy. It, it's, it's exposed from every angle. The places of worship had only begun to become operational again. It was embarrassing for them. You know, in your life, it's so easy. And I've done this myself where maybe I don't want to share what's going on because I think, oh, I, I don't want to let people, I, can, I don't want to let people know that. I can deal with that myself. I've got my hand on that. We don't want to ask for help, do we? But Nehemiah understood that if he was going to rebuild, it was going to take the efforts of everyone. You know, we find ourselves as a church right now facing some big challenges, facing some things where we need God to come through in a big way. We need to raise some money. We need to, to look at what God is calling us into. And, you know, if we just sat there thinking, you know, like, no, don't, we don't need to talk about this. We don't need to really go there. But actually, we need unity. We need to stand together. We will do this as one. I'm encouraged by this. Listen to this. It's an African proverb. I'm sure you've heard it before. It says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And Nehemiah would have understood this sentiment. That look, if we just want to get stuff done and we want to move quickly and whatever, they just would have rolled in with the cavalry, rolled in with the provisions, started the building. People have been like, what's going on? Maybe they would have finished it. It was a huge job. But actually, as we see this passage, this story unfold, they needed the efforts of everyone. And it's just like us today in, in our church, but in our lives. If you're facing something right now that needs rebuilding, 
If you are facing something in your life that is that is on its knees, like I said, it might be your family, it might be your marriage. Can I encourage you, you will not do this by struggling on your own. You need people around you to carry you, to go the distance. But more so, let me just, let me just pull this out. Listen to this here. It says in verse 18, I also told them of the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. Now, I love this because the king of Persia was like a, you know, a highly honored person. He, you know, he brought fear to everyone that he faced. But the king of Persia sent Nehemiah to go and rebuild. Now, this, like, like we talked about last week, this would have had political implications. It would have had social, economic implications. Like, like Jerusalem had resisted the rule of the Persians. So it was quite a big deal that the king of Persia not only just allowed Nehemiah to go, but gave him provisions and protection. So Nehemiah stands in front of the people and he doesn't just say, hey guys, we can do this together. He actually gathers them together, says, look, let's do this, let's rebuild. And then he tells them of the gracious hand of God on his life. He says, look, we're not doing this on our own. God has called me to do this. God will be with us. God will see us succeed. And then he gives them the evidence. The king of Persia sent me here to do this. He allowed me to be here. We've got provisions. We've got protection. Now, the people of Jerusalem listening to this would have been like, wow, God's favor must be on this guy because how could the king of Persia ever send someone to go and rebuild what was seen as enemy territory? It doesn't make sense. It encourages me. God can work in mysterious ways. And if God has called you to something, God will equip you to do it. And I want to encourage you that you will not be able to fight what it is you are fighting on your own. Now, you'll be able to do it better with people around you, but you will only be able to do it if God is involved, if God has the control in the situation. Let me read a passage. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says, Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. But a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. What does this mean? It means when we join with each other in the presence of God, that unifying three will not be broken. Whatever it is you're facing right now, can I challenge you? Maybe do you need to let some people in? Do you need to bring some people into the situation that you are facing right now? Do you need to ask for some help? Or are we going to sit back and stand on our own and say, I got this. No, don't worry. It's fine. Like, I'll, I'll deal with it. No one needs to know about what I'm facing. You see, Nehemiah understood that what is impossible with man is possible with God. See, God called him to this. He had a confidence that God was going to see him through. Are there some people you need to let into your situations this morning? More so, do you need to let God into your brokenness right now, into your, into your situation that you are facing. Nehemiah faced reality. He faced the reality of what is going on. He understood that he had to build in community. And finally, he understood that he had to commit to the journey. He had to commit to the journey. So verse 19 and 20, we see this interesting a little dialogue unfold here. So you've got these three guys. You've got Sambal, you've got Tobiah, and you've got Geshem. 
These are characters that we see all throughout the narrative. And um, so Nehemiah sort of commissions this pe these people. We are going to rebuild. We are going to do this. This is the moment. There is hope. It is possible. Why? Because God has called us to this. Then you've got this little group of people who are sort of onlookers. And then they kind of call Nehemiah out and it says, what is it you're doing? They ridiculed, they mocked. What is it you're actually doing? And now see, they understood the fact that this was a little bit of a strange scenario. The cupbearer of the Persian king has a letter from the king and has protection from the king and has provisions from the king is going to rebuild what was seen as like a resistant kingdom. These guys understood the irony of this, like what is going on? And they start to say to Nehemiah, are you trying to rebel against the king? Are you trying to start some little uprising here? Are you trying to like cause a revolution? Are you trying to uh, oppose the king that you have sworn to serve? Now, I love this because Nehemiah could have got drawn into this and be like, hey, uh, I've actually got a letter. Do you have a letter? He, he, could, have, he could have got into it and, and like just responded to the things that they were saying. But he doesn't do that. He knew whose voice actually mattered here. And this was his response. He says, the God of heaven will give us success. The God of heaven will give us success. He was like, in fact, not only will God give us success, but you guys will have no part of this. You guys have no claim to it. You have no right here. And you will have no victory here. Now, I absolutely love this. We have a lesson to learn out of this. The way Nehemiah responded to this, he knew what mattered. This is a lesson we can learn. If you don't remember why you started, you will not remember why it is you should finish. If you don't remember why it is you started, you will not remember why it is you should finish. What do I mean by this? So Nehemiah, God calls him to do this. He gathers people. He sees the brokenness. He sees the pain. He commissions people. He gets people excited. He unites people. And then the negative voices come. Like, hold up here for a second. Can I just say, when you start to change things in your life, when you begin to want to make positive steps in your life, actually, the people that are around you that are insecure will actually feel like they need to pull you down or they need to drag you back. You know, if you've ever been uh, in a room with, uh, with someone who wants to go on a diet or someone who wants to go to the gym, you can see this unfold. Like us humans, we do not like it when people want to better themselves. Like you just watch, if you ever sit in a room with people, say someone's on a diet or are trying to get fit or something like that, and they, they go to make a positive decision, like maybe they, they say no to, to a cake or they say, they say no to something that everyone else really wanted and people go, come on, come on, you'll be fine. Oh, it's just one. Like, what, what are you doing? Don't be, don't be so religious about it. You know, don't, don't ruin your fun. You've got to live life. You only live once. You've seen it, haven't you? Because this is exactly what happens. What they're really saying is, I don't have the discipline to do what you're doing, even if I wanted to. I don't think I could actually do what it is you are doing. And now because I see you are doing it, I'm starting to feel insecure about the decisions that I have just eaten two donuts. Or I have just eaten far more cake than I should have done. That's really what's going on here. It's kind of like an insecurity. So when you begin to make steps in your life, maybe you start to, to make steps in your marriage. Maybe it is that you, you say, you know what, I want to get over this addiction. But the people you've been hanging out with, they're not in that place. 
and they begin to say, what are you actually trying to do? Who are you kidding? Who, whoever said you were going to be something like that? Whoever said you would make anything of yourself? Whoever said that, that God would use you to do that? Can I just encourage you, don't be discouraged by the voices of negativity around you. Don't allow people who are insecure and caught in their own bad behaviors, their own bad habits, to discourage you from stepping into being the person that God has called you to be. Like I said, we as a church are stepping into a season when we are going to have to step out and be bold. And people will look at us and say, whoever thinks you are going to be able to raise that money? Whoever thinks you are going to be able to acquire that? Whoever thinks you guys will ever to be able to be the church that sees the end of that? Whoever said that you guys will be a church that will actually reach people and see people housed and see kids um, you know, stop being put into foster care due to poverty-related needs? Who said you would be the church that would actually walk out the things that you've been called to do? We are going to get that the, the more we move forward, the more we commit to being the church that God has called us to be. We are going to start to hear negative voices. And if we don't remember why we start, if we don't remember who called us into it, we will not remember why it is we should push on. Nehemiah understood that God called him to this. So when these guys, when these three guys begin to start ridiculing him, he doesn't engage in the back and forth. He just goes straight to it. He goes straight back to his why. Hey, God will give us success. I don't need to engage in this back and forth because I already know if God has called us to it, then God is the one who will bring us through it. I want to ask you in your life right now, do you need to rediscover your why? Do you need to rediscover what it is God has put in you? We talked about this in terms of provision last week. We said that God will supply all of your needs according to his glory, according to his riches. So if God has called you to something, he will provide everything you need for it. Let me read a passage from Hebrews 12, 1 to 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. I love this. This is saying, run into the things God has called you to by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Nehemiah understood this. He didn't just gather people and say, hey guys, we got this. It's doable. It's possible. Even though it was, he knew that it was only possible through God. So he gathers people and he points them to God. His why was his call. You know, so often we live our lives with kind of like awaiting what we think is, com is coming next. Like, oh, looking around, like, God, wh what is it? Like, am I going to miss an opportunity? Am I not going to be the person? But actually, God has been working in your life since the day you entered this earth. He is not finished with you. He has plans for your life according to his purposes, according to his glory. Do you need to rediscover your why? So that when times get difficult, when the, the negative voices set in, when people start to discourage, you actually know, I'm going to run the race with perseverance, fixing my eyes on Jesus because I know what he has called me to. Do you need to rediscover your why? 
So when it came to rebuilding, when it came to this process, Nehemiah faced the reality, he built in community, and he was committed to the journey. As we enter this phase of society, as we kind of, as the lockdown begins to ease, as things begin to return to a form of normal, as lives begin to start to rebuild, as families start to sort of regroup and rebuild, as the economy sort of gets back onto its feet, we are going to be asking ourselves these type of questions. Are we going to face the reality? Maybe it's a little bit deeper than that for you this morning. Maybe your life has felt like this for a long time. And this morning is a, a moment where you realize it's time to rebuild. It's time for me to be the person that God has called me to be. And it's time for you to face the reality of what your life looks like right now so that God can work in your brokenness, so God can work in your pain. If you don't acknowledge it, God cannot work with it. He will not force himself into your life to fix you. You have to give it over to him. Nehemiah faced the reality. He built in community. He committed to others. He united others. He pulled people together. He knew that this is something that, that together, people together under God would achieve this. He couldn't do it on his own. He needed to be with people before God. And he committed to the journey. When times got tough, when things seemed overwhelming, when life for Nehemiah just looked like what is going to happen, when the negative voices set in, he knew his why and he was committed to the journey. You know, often when we are faced with situations of building or rebuilding or however it might look for us, like I said earlier, we tend to shrink things down into a, a manageable way so that we can control it. You know, often we do this, don't we? So say when it comes to maybe our health, you know, and we, and we talk about certain elements, maybe, you know, we, you, you've been to the doctor about something. And uh, even maybe even before that, I know this happened in my life several times where before I get to the doctor, I, I think I can fix it on my own. I mean, I'd encourage you never go on those websites because every single time, like it says you're going to die. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Got a cough. Yep. You're going to die. Or, you know, got a, a little bald patch on my head. I mean, that's not me. Don't worry. Uh, I think, you know, we, we try and fix things ourselves. We kind of reduce the problem and we try and do everything we can because it's in our control. Because for some reason, we think it's okay when things are in our control. Like we, we seem to think that we can handle it. We've got it all together. We know exactly how to fix this. This phrase is out of my hands. Well, we don't like that. We like it to be in our hands. I think in our lives, when it comes to our salvation, our faith, our, our journey, when it comes to sin, so often we like to do the very same thing. But we need to realize that it's out of our hands. We need to realize that the things that we face are actually out of our hands. And if they're out of our hands, it means they're in His hands. Can I encourage you, whatever it is you're facing, do not reduce it to try and fit it into your hands. As a church, let's not try and reduce things to fit into our hands. Let us lean in, let us embrace the fact that it's not in our hands. Like I said, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to eternity, are we thankful that it's not in our hands? Are we thankful that it's actually in His hands? 
Listen to this, Ephesians 2 verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. I don't know about you, but I am thankful that it is out of my hands. I am thankful that my eternity, that is out of my hands. Why? Because humanity is broken. We are sinful and we are broken and we are severed from God. If you go all the way back to Genesis and you look at the fall of humanity, humanity opted for a life without God. And what happened? We severed the connection. So when we say that the cross of Jesus is central to our faith, it's because it is the thing that changed everything. Jesus came down to this earth. He was sent from the Father. This was like the rescue plan. This was a way that humanity would be redeemed back to the Father. It is out of our hands and it is in his hands. Jesus came and he took quite physically our sin and our shame on his body as he was hung on a cross. It was taken out of our hands and placed in his. So that when he walked out of that grave and ascended back into heaven, that we have a way back to God. We have a way back to freedom. We have a way back to be the people that we were designed to be. Why? Because it is out of our hands. It is a gift of grace from God. I don't know whether you have ever accepted that gift of grace, whether you have ever been in a place where you've just found yourself saying, you know what, I can't do this on my own. I just have an emptiness inside and you've maybe tried to take that into your own hands. You've tried to fill it with relationships, substances. You've tried to fill it with money, success, people. You will never fill that void inside of your heart. Only God can fill that void. My challenge for us this morning, maybe you're listening to this and you've been a Christian for a while and you've been in this church for a while and you're thinking, well, what is it? Like, I don't really feel like I have a whole lot to rebuild. What, what do I need to, what do I need to do? Give me some, give me something to walk out of this morning with. Do you need to trust God with everything that is out of your hands? That could be anything from your family anything to your health, anything from society or the economy or anything like this, to allow the things that are out of our hands, we just commit them into God's hands and stop trying to take back control. Do we need to let God have control of some things in our life? Some things in our church, some things in our families. Or maybe, like I said, you're listening for the first time and you want to know this life changing hope, this life-changing love that will change your eternity forever. You want to meet Jesus for the first time. You just need to pray a simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my brokenness. I give you my sin. I give you all that is wrong with me, all that is right with me, everything I don't understand, everything I'm confused about, I just give over to you. I take it out of my hands and I place it in yours. Jesus, it is out of my hands. I give you my life. I really believe that today could change your life forever. Let's pray. Father God, I want to thank you for this message this morning. God, let it not just stay as knowledge in our mind, but let it uh, translate into revelation so that we hear your voice in this. I pray, God, for all those people that just gave you their life for the first time today. They want to know you. They want to give over everything to you. They want to take everything out of their hands and place them in yours. God, I pray that you just 
reveal yourself to them that today would be a day that completely shifts their life forever. God, I pray that you would flood them with your love right now. God, I pray for us as a church too, for every single person listening. God, I pray that all the things that are outside of our control, out, out of our hands, God, I pray that we can embrace them into your hands. We can, we can lean into you. We can lean into that place where we have confidence that if they're not in our hands, then they're in yours. God, we just speak that over this church right now. Our future is in your hands. All that we are called to is in your hands. God, let us not try and take control of that and squeeze it into our hands and reduce what it is you've called us to. God, I pray that we are overwhelmed with the future you have for us. Let us not play it down, play it small, because we are too afraid of what the unknown looks like. Let us be bold and walk into a place where we just have to trust you. We thank you, God, for all you're doing. We just pray a blessing over every single person watching right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, it's been amazing to spend this time together this morning. Like I said, if you gave your life over for the first time, you want to know this Jesus, you, you prayed that prayer, can I encourage you not to do this journey on your own? We want to do it with you. Dan and Grace will come on in a second just to explain a little bit of how you can get in touch, get connected in with us, join some groups. Uh, you know, we've got stuff going on in midweek. So I want to encourage you, do not do this on your own. We are here for you, especially when it comes to the community care response. Get in touch if you need some help. But other than that, we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.